it's great to see you guys. Great to be here. I love you, Overlake. Uh, uh, you might want to grab your notes out of your handout. And by the way, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. It's good to be with you. Uh, it, it, many of you already know this, but I just got back yesterday from a mind-blowing trip to the Holy Land. Uh, very, very excited. And uh, God just kind of opened up some stuff. And then um, also, I, I, I just got back, so I'm in this fog of jet lag right now. All that to say, today should be fun, right? We should have fun. I don't know when I am, but it's going to be good. So uh, you can see, if you look at the title of today's message, Be the Mentor You Wish You Had. And so I want to unpack a little bit around that concept today. I first started thinking about it, um, actually this whole year, it's been on my heart and mind. And, and I want to credit one of the guys who, who started getting me thinking about this, a guy named Nathan White. He's a leader in our student ministries. Nathan is my son Caleb's small group leader and a great mentor in his own right. And so uh, last summer when Caleb was at our student ministries houseboats camp, Nathan was his leader there as well. And Caleb's been taking some strides in his own faith. And, and Nathan thought, you know what, Caleb, it's time for you to really pick a, a, another mentor in your life. And, and Nathan said to Caleb, in fact, God has blessed you. He's actually put a really solid mentor in your own home. And Caleb like looked around like, who? Who is that, you know? And, and Nathan was like, oh, it's your dad. Oh, oh, my dad, right. And so uh, when Caleb got home from houseboats last summer, it was kind of late at night, and he said, Dad, I want to talk to you. And so we go, we, we have this conversation, and Caleb says, Dad, will you be my mentor? Oh, I know. It was a total, beautiful, ugly cry moment for me. I, I was so honored to be asked. And so that started a little bit of pretty mellow, but a little more intentional. I, I would pitch a verse to Caleb, and he would read it with me, and then we would unpack, hey, what do you, what do you think that means? And how do you think that is uh, applied in our lives today? And so we would just be a little more intentional about it. And then, of course, the fall hits, and those of you with children, you know it's, it's school, and it's homework, and it's orchestra, and it's sports practice, it's ministry, and just kind of shuffling everything around, trying to fit it all in, and we, we hadn't intentionally scheduled these times together, and so they didn't happen all that often, and sometime around, like, Thanksgiving of last year, I was tucking my son Caleb in bed, and we'd had a great evening together, tucking him in bed, and he's kind of hugging me real hard, he's, and just saying, you know, good night, Dad, Dad, I love you, and I'm like, bud, I love you too, and he says, Dad, can I tell you something? I go, yeah, anything, bud, sure, and he goes, you kind of suck as a mentor. <laughs> oh, oh, no. And he was right. I kind of do. And so, uh, I, so I, I, I really got me thinking about ah, how does this work and how do I get better? And, and in do, doing some of that, letting God kind of teach me a little bit, um, that's sort of the outgrowth of what I want to share with you today. So I'm trying to get a little better. I want you to be a little better. I don't want you to suck as a mentor. So uh, here's what it is. And by the way, just to kind of give it, here's... Here's what discipleship is. We talk about discipleship all the time, right? Discipleship is one of the major reasons the church exists. But here's the thing. Mentorship is simply discipleship spiritually, right? Mentorship is just discipleship on our faith trajectory. And so that's, that's what we're going to unpack, and, and that's what we're going to talk about today. 
And some of you already know that the concept of mentoring, even the word mentor, it actually comes from the Greek. Mentor is a figure in uh, the Odyssey. And so uh, you might already know this. In his old age, Mentor was a friend of Odysseus who placed Mentor in charge of his son Telemachus and of the palace when Odysseus left for the Trojan War. So very early on, right, the reason why we have this word mentor is because it means a trusted post. It means that surrogate father or mother role, that, that, that older, wiser voice to guide and to protect and maybe to challenge. And, and so that's sort of how we get this concept of mentors from the Greeks. But I want you to know centuries before this was written, centuries before this concept of mentor hit the scene, um, it was actually in the scriptures, right? It was actually um, something that was given uh, through Moses. And so this is what we read in Deuteronomy 11, verses 18 through 21. Moses writes, So commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates so that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. All right, let's unpack that a little bit. Hands is a reference to your actions, practically putting these words into practice. Forehead is a reference to your thoughts, to your mind. Now, I, I, I do want you to know, when I was in Israel, I saw several people, more orthodox followers of Judaism, who believe that this verse is to be taken literally. So they tie things on their hands. They actually tie little boxes on their forehead called teflon. Uh, it, these boxes contain... Torah, scripture, and again, this was really prominent amongst Orthodox uh, followers of Judaism. I was actually in Tel Aviv surfing uh, on the last day, and I saw several, uh, I thought they were wearing this in the water until I realized they were just GoPro cameras. So, um, <laughs> but, but here's the deal, you know, in modern Christianity, we don't think that, that those verses are to be taken literally, we think they're to be taken practically. They're to be taken practically. In other words, our actions should be filled with our knowledge of our faith and how we want to live our faith out practically and tangibly. We think that the idea is that God's thoughts should be on our mind often, that we should keep them in the forefront of our thought. What is God's will for us? What is God's desire for us in this situation, etc.? And so that's the idea of hands and foreheads, our actions, our thoughts. Then he says, at your dinner tables on your road trips, when you're tucking your kids in bed at night, when you're getting ready for the workday or school in the morning. He says, on your doorposts and on your gates. In other words, people in your neighborhood need to know what you stand for. People in your workplace, they need to know what you represent. They need to know what is important to you. And then that last verse says, you and your children will flourish. You and the next generation will flourish if we will do the mentorship that's described here. Now, I, I want to be honest, and, I, and maybe you're one of the lucky ones who have had really good, solid mentors in your life, but many of us have not experienced this. And so that's why the challenge of today's message is be the mentor that you wish you had. 
Be the mentor, like, like kind of figure out what is it that I did not get invested into me and then be committed to investing that, investing that wisdom in the next generation in a way that you did not receive. So that's the challenge. That's what we're talking about today. Here's some, the major truth to keep in mind is this, that wisdom is caught as well as taught. Wisdom is caught as well as taught. Your healthy perspective is caught as well as taught. The, the, the faith journey that you're on, it's caught as well as it's taught. You can teach it. You can talk about it. But just know that it's actually caught, too. It's observed. It, it, the practice of your faith, that is as much of the mentor role as it is the things that you say. And what I want to do is I want to look at an example of this in Scripture. It's the relationship between Moses as a leader and Joshua, the leader that follows him. And it's, it, it's how their, the relationship uh, uh, baton was passed, how the leadership baton was passed. And there are enough similarities in the leadership styles of both that I would say we find clear evidence of mentorship. That Joshua was watching Moses, he was observing, and maybe at times they were interacting, but, but he was putting into practice things that he saw Moses putting into practice in how he lived, in the leadership style, the faith uh, journey that he was on. So if you're filling in the blanks, a couple of things that we see that Moses embodied, that Joshua caught, and the first is the truth that we trust in a big God. We trust in a big, big God. In fact, no matter how big you think God is, God is bigger yet. And that was the God that Moses trusted in. In fact, Moses, I want you to imagine this. Moses, he was able to stand in front of the most powerful man in the known world at the time and give him the what for, right? He stood in front of Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. And this is what it says in the scripture in Exodus 5.1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go. Moses says, I know, I, I know. I'm talking about your entire slave labor force. I, I, I'm talking about millions of hands and backs no longer at your disposal. I know this is not what you want. It's going to wreak havoc on your public works budget. I, I, I know that this is, this is absolutely counterproductive for what it is that you're trying to build, Pharaoh. But I don't care if it's what you want. It's what God wants. And it was backed up by this faith in a big God, a God who had blown Moses' hair back and his sandals off at the burning bush. It was this God who would back up these claims by turning the Nile into blood and bringing plague after plague after plague and splitting the Red Sea in two. And, and, and so Moses, right, Moses had this faith in a big God and Joshua was watching. And so Moses led with sternness, right? But he also led with skill. He led with guts, but he also led with grace. And, and, and Joshua was observing all this. And, and so Moses, in his leadership, his faith in a big God was that God would provide direction for us. And God will provide manna and quail from heaven. And he will provide water from the rock. And Joshua, he's just catching all of this. And that's why the next generation, 
when Joshua was at the helm, and God says to Joshua, you're going to enter the promised land, and even though the Jordan is a kilometer wide at this point, and it's a rushing river, and, and you, you know, it's, it's flowing, I want you to start walking across. Just send your men to start walking across, and as they go, I will stop the Jordan, and, and you'll cross on dry land. Joshua did it without a moment's hesitation. Why? Because he had seen it modeled in Moses, who had faith in a big God. When God says to Joshua, here's the military strategy for Jericho. I want you just to walk around the wall. Just do a little parade around the wall. Seven times. Just, that, that'll be your military strategy. And Joshua's like, uh, Lord, it's, it's not military and it's not a strategy. Uh, but, but he'll do it, right? He does it anyway. Why? Because he has seen faith in a big God modeled. Do you see this? Now, a question do you have faith in a big God? Do the people who are watching you know that you have faith in a big God? Are your problems bigger than God? Or is God infinitely bigger than your problems? Right, the challenges that you face, are, are those challenges bigger than God? Or is God infinitely bigger than those challenges? Who are you allowing to witness your faith in a big God? Remember, it's caught more than taught. And so this is, this is one of the things that we see, that Moses models this. Joshua picks it up. The next thing Joshua caught from Moses is this, that humility plus God unleashes courage. Humility plus God unleashes courage. And this is what we read in Numbers 12, 3. Now, the man Moses was very humble, more humble than all men who were on the face of the earth. Moses is very humble, more humble than anybody else who was alive on the planet. I do want you to know, if Moses wrote those words, it doesn't mean quite as much, right? right? It's like, I am so humble. Like, that, that doesn't work uh, as much. So the, Moses is not writing these words. This is the truth, that he was a humble man. And what does that mean? It means simply this, that Moses was incredibly aware of his need of God. That's humility here. Moses knew that he was utterly dependent upon the Lord. So he's humble. He didn't operate out of a self-confidence bordering on arrogance. He operated out of a God confidence. He's humble because he knew he needed God. The most humble man, right? He is the most dependent on God in all of the planet. And because he was so humble, because he was so dependent on God, there was an incredible amount of courage in terms of how he could lead and how he could steward his leadership and where he could take people. You know, he, Moses goes away for a few days. He's getting the Ten Commandments, and, and the entire people of Israel decide to melt their gold earrings and make a golden calf, an idol. And Moses comes down, and he is courageously, boldly confronts everybody, right? You got, you're missing, how could you make an idol? I was just talking to God, what in the world? Like, going crazy. Moses, he's not afraid to confront the entire nation. Moses isn't even afraid to confront God, if you remember that story. Or he's like, God, I know you want to kill him, I want to kill him, but they're your people, they're stiff-necked, but they're yours, you know. And, and, and so you see this, this humility, this dependence on God, it, it, it released an incredible amount of courage 
in terms of how he could lead. Now, Joshua, again, one generation later, Joshua, he is so aware of his dependence on God, right? He, he is so aware. He just gets the mantle of leadership. And if you're reading Joshua chapter 1, God just shows up, right? God sees his humility. He sees his need, his, his dependence upon the Lord. So God shows up. And what does God bring? Three different times, God just speaks courage, 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 courage. Joshua 1.9 says this. It says, have I not commanded you, this is the Lord speaking, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. See, the courage that the Lord is with us is unleashed with humility, with the recognition of our dependence upon the Lord. One of my favorite Proverbs I put here, Proverbs 22.4, true humility and fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and long life. You might want to circle those last three words, riches, honor, and long life. Together, those three things are awesome, right? Riches, honor, and long life, right? How do we get that true humility and fear of the Lord, our honor of the Lord, our respect of the Lord? We get riches, riches are great, but riches without honor, that's horrible. Riches with dishonor, not good. You know what else is not good? Riches, short life, right? All kinds of riches, but you're dead. Like that, guess what? How much are you going to leave behind? All, okay? So, so riches, riches, short life, that's not good. Riches, dishonor, that's not good. Um, long life with dishonor, that's not good. Long life with dishonor and no riches, that's like hell. So, you know, th th this idea of all three work together. How do you get that? True humility, fear of the Lord, right? This honor, this respect, this awe of the Lord. One of the knocks against the upcoming generation, I've read this in several sources, one of the knocks against the millennials is that there is a true humility that seems to be lacking. I don't know if you've read this or if you've heard any of this stuff. And, and, and uh, I just want you to know, I'm not even sure that it's true. I know a ton of millennials, and, and I'm not sure that this is what I see. But this is kind of the knock on the millennial generation is that instead of humility, uh, a sense of, yeah, I got to work to accomplish, I got to work to achieve stuff, it's more like instant entitlement. I, I deserve instant uh, success. So again, I don't know that that's true, but if it is true, and if it is true that the millennial generation has entitlement and not humility, let me ask, whose fault is that? It's the Gen Xers and the, and the boomers, right? We have not modeled a true humility. We've not passed it on to the next generation. That's why this is so important for us, right? True humility and fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and long life. Okay, next one here. Uh, the third thing that we see that Joshua receives from Moses is that clear decision releases internal power. Making clear decisions releases internal power. There's power in shedding the alternatives. There's power when you know when to burn the boats, and so retreat is not an option. And Moses laid out clear decisions before the nation of Israel. Many of you are familiar with this, Deuteronomy 30, 19. Moses says, today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. 
Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. I mean, how much power is that? Is there in that? Saying, look how, how good this is in terms of your spiritual direction, in terms of your journey with the Lord. On one hand, you've got life. On the other hand, death. On one hand, you've got blessings. On the other hand, curses. What are you going to choose? Why don't you choose life? Choose to, choose to be with God. Choose to be on the journey with him, right? Make the choice. He just lays it out. Because he knows how much power is released in our, in our faith journey. When we just decide there's no going back, right? I'm with the Lord. One generation later, what does Joshua do? The same exact thing. Choose this day whom you will serve, he says. Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Come on, somebody. That's awesome, right? Like he just lays it out. Make a choice. Moses says, life or death, blessing or curse. Joshua says, choose who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's power in making a firm decision, specifically spiritual decisions for the Lord. Now, I want to just break this down and share a story. Some of you have heard this before. Many of you know I grew up in Southern California and in Orange County, and one of the things that we used to do when we were in high school and just kind of messing around summer days, we would, we would go down to Laguna Beach. We would go to a, a place, a gated community actually, called Three Arch Bay down in, in Laguna Beach, and, and we would uh, sneak in, sorry, we'd sneak, uh, head down to the beach, the uh, very public beach, which is, yeah, not really. Anyway, we'd go down there, and the reason why we wanted to go to Three Arch Bay is because there were places to do some cliff jumping. And so they had like a, like a 10-foot cliff jump, and, and that was super fun, and then there was like a, actually about a 30-foot jump, and that, that was my favorite. That was really fun, just enough to get the heart really pumping. But if you had the air of adventure, you could swim out around the point, and you could climb up the cliffs, and there was about a 60-footer. Yeah, and if you want to look kind of up, it would be just shy of the ceiling, right? So big. And, and one of the things you'd notice if you climbed up to the top is there were rocks all at the bottom, which meant that you had to really vault yourself off that, that, that cliff in order to land safely in the deep water. I know, right? So fun. <laughs> so uh, a couple of things, though, about it. At the top, it, there wasn't a lot of room to run. So there wasn't a lot of space to really get a good head of steam going. And it was all covered with ice plant, which if you, if you ever tried to run on ice plant, you know, it's incredibly slippery. One day, my brother Mark was up there with two of his friends, Ando and Payson, and they were up there trying to get the nerve to jump off that 60-footer. Uh, and so Ando says, all right, I'm going to do it, guys. I'm going to do it. And he backs up as far as he can, and then he starts sprinting towards the, the cliff. But he loses his nerve almost immediately. And so he tries to stop, but he slips on the ice plant, and just skitters across the top towards the edge. Pretty sure my brother wet himself. <laughs> they dive for him, they catch him before he falls off the edge of the cliff. 
and you hear that, and you, every parent in here is going, that is so dangerous. I would never let my kid do that, right? Ah, but if you had the nerve, it was a vault into the mystic, right? It was a leap into the holy adrenaline that God has for his chosen few, right? It was a flight into the majesty of creation. It was an enema you would never forget. Right, just so amazing, right? That, that, that absolute, just heart pounding. I am so alive, right? So here's the thing I want you to see. It, it's like, if you say, yes, I want a cliff jump, great. And if you say, no, I don't want a cliff jump, great. But if you say, I sort of want a cliff jump, no, I'm going to stop. That's lethal. That's lethal. And, and so what does Moses do? He's saying, shed the alternatives. Cut away the options. Make a choice. What does Joshua pick up? Choose this day who you're going to serve. Do you see how powerful that is? See, see how incredibly it releases a strength for our spiritual direction. In fact, the, the very word decide comes from a Latin root Quarter, which means to cut. You cut away the alternatives. This is my only path forward. And I'm going to choose the adventure of walking this road with the Lord of the universe. How powerful. And so, again, we come back to this idea of mentorship, right? And this is what we see. We see it modeled in Scripture. We see it commanded in scripture, I, I want to share with you what I found, the mentor's mantra, which is this. The mentor's mantra is, whoever hoards the fire and does not pass it on is a thief. Right? If you have wisdom and you hoard it and you don't pass it on, you're stealing from the next generation. If you have passion, you have knowledge, and you hoard it to yourself and you don't share it with those that are coming along behind, you are thieving from them. That's the, the mentor's mantra. And so what I want to do is I, I want to kind of answer this question, what does a mentor do? And you might want to just, you know, take notes. I want to blaze through these. It's not going to be a super long. I'll be done in like two, three hours. So, uh, but, but just kind of write these down, and, and we can unpack them more, you know, in a, a different context. But first, what a mentor does, a mentor helps set perspective. A mentor helps us see things more clearly or from a wider lens. A mentor sees potential where you might not see it yet. But a mentor will have perspective that you don't have because you're right in the middle of something and they're outside of it and they can speak wisdom into it, set perspective. Specifically in a faith context, I want to tell you the perspective that I seek to set. So let me, let me just wrap these down. And these are easy if you want to jot them down. The first, in terms of setting spiritual perspective, number one, God is. That's where it all starts. There is a God. This is not an atheistic universe, a nihilistic universe. This is a universe with purpose and meaning because God is. Number two, God is love. The predominant characteristic, the driving force behind all that God does and purposes, love. God is and God is love. Number three, God is Jesus. 
we see the perfect snapshot of the Father's heart in the person of Jesus Christ. The Son does not do or say anything he does not see in the Father, that, that God is Jesus. Number four, God is with you. You are never alone. There is never anything you can face, any trial, any challenge. There's never any hardship that you will face that you face alone. God is, God is love, God is Jesus, God is with you. It helps set perspective spiritually. Now that's the, the framework, that's the foundation, that's the playing field that we're on. Now let's go forward. Okay, it's that mentor will help set perspective. Number two here, a mentor challenges the size of the vision. Challenges the size of our vision. Sometimes our vision needs to be much bigger than it is, right? We, we set our sights too small. Sometimes it needs to be much more specific, right? We, we've been too vague, too hazy. A mentor will help set some specific challenge. Sometimes it needs to be more realistic. But a mentor will help challenge the size of our vision. The third thing here, a uh, mentor highlights the upside in any challenge, The upside, every challenge has upside, every challenge has an opportunity, and the mentor helps us to get there. There's a story of two English shoe companies who both sent salespeople to Africa. And the first salesman gets there, and he looks around, he notices sort of the culture that he has just landed in, so he wires a telegraph back to England, nobody here wears shoes, send me a boat home. The next salesperson arrives. He does the same thing. He looks around. He sends a telegraph back to England. Nobody here wears shoes. Send me a boat full of shoes. That was a lot funnier than you guys just thought. (laughs) What's he doing? He sees the upside, right? Every challenge has an upside, and a mentor helps us to see the the upside in any challenge. The next fill-in, a mentor recognizes the growth opportunity. And there always is one. There's always a growth opportunity. In the first church that I served at, as a youth pastor, I was, I was serving there. And a couple of years into my service, I was also uh, getting my master's with Fuller Theological Seminary. And one of my profs I had for several classes, he was uh, my prof in Christian leadership. And I was wrestling. I was actually frustrated with my current situation. I was frustrated with the, the paradigm of the staff and, and sort of how things were working in the church that I was at. And I was impatient as a young leader. So I was kind of expressing my frustration and my impatience to my, my fuller professor. And he challenged me with a question. And, and this is a question I think is really, it's a powerful question. We've asked it a few times here at Overlake. But the question is, what does God want you to learn right where you are? What is God trying to teach you right now? Because our tendency is we just want to escape or we just want to, you know, we want to, we want to get in a new situation. If this one's tough, let's just get in a new situation. But the, the question is, no, no, God wants to grow you here. What, what is it that he wants to grow in you? And I'm so glad that he challenged me in that. I'm so glad I received that challenge because I, I did end up leaving the staff at that church. I mean, obviously I'm here. Uh, but, but it wasn't for three years later. And in that three years, I, I recognized that God had done a work in me in terms of building my steadfast perseverance, allowing me to be a much more patient leader. He opened up opportunities for me to lead laterally as well as a little bit to lead upward 
as the situation provided. There, there, there were some incredible opportunities for my own personal growth in that context. And by the time I did leave after a few years, I left as a much more successful and well-rounded pastor than I would have if I would have left when I was just frustrated. So you know that this is a truth, that a mentor will help you see that there's growth in every opportunity. In fact, I want to challenge you with this. A mentor will help you see that the issue you're dealing with is not really about the issue. The issue you're dealing with is really about the person that God wants you to be. And so where is it that God's growing you? What, what kind of a man, what kind of a woman is God growing you into because of this, issue, this situation? So the, the challenge is that we see the growth in every opportunity. Uh, the next one, a mentor shares experience with you. A mentor will just walk with you. A mentor will be open and growing themselves. So they'll be willing just to share what God's teaching them with you. Not necessarily an expert, not somebody who pretends to know all things, but know, I, I know a few things. And so I'm willing to share what I know with you. And th that's the paradigm uh, that we seek to embrace here at Overlake. What is shared is experience. I found this quote from Oscar Wilde, experience is the name everyone gives to their mistakes, right? And it's true. We make mistakes, and oh, yeah, that's experience. And now let me share my experience with you so you don't make the same mistakes that I've made. You don't have time to make every mistake. Learn from mine, okay? Now, I, I want to let you know that that's the paradigm that we do embrace at Overlake. And, and we do, you know, most of our mentorship, spiritual growth happens in life groups, Right, so we build life groups. We have several life groups, you know, hundreds and hundreds of you in life groups. But let me, let me share with you sort of the cascading effect of how this works. This is a few years ago now. But Pastor Neely was investing in a student leader named Sophie. She was mentoring her. And then Sophie was investing in a high school freshman girl, Alexandra, my daughter. And then Alexandra was investing in a fifth grade girls group. She's mentoring them. And then one of those fifth grade girls was plugged back in leading first graders. So you see the, the cascading effect. N none of them were pretending to be experts, but all of them were willing to, as they walked with Jesus, be willing to share that experience with those who were coming a few steps behind. Right? That, that's what a mentor does, shares experience. The last fill in here, a mentor gives energy, gives encouragement, and gives blessing. Gives energy, gives encouragement, gives blessing. My grandparents are the people in my life who taught me about unconditional love. They so clearly taught this concept to me, and yet I know that not once did they ever say to me, now, Michael, let me tell you about unconditional love. Instead, they just showed it to me. It defined everything about how they interacted with me. They were, they were thrilled to be with me. They were thrilled about who God had made me to be, about who I was becoming. I'm not pretending that they were thrilled about every choice I ever made. That, that wasn't true. But even in the midst of me making choices that they weren't thrilled about or wouldn't uh, sign on with, they still loved me unconditionally. And, and, and it marked me. They, they're the ones who taught me this concept because they just, they gave 
that blessing. They gave that encouragement. They gave that energy to me. One of the guys that mentors me is Pastor Scott Dudley from Bellevue Presbyterian. And he actually was on this trip to Israel just now. And so I just spent the last 11 days. We were hanging out and talking nonstop. And one of the things he says is 80% of mentoring is I love you. I'm proud of you. You know, you're really great at fill in the blank. You, you see, we are desperate for that message to be given to us. We are desperate to receive that truth. And, and, and because we've not necessarily, we, we've not had mentors pour into us like that. And so it's so important that a mentor just comes alongside and communicates love. Again, I, I would say this is a little bit like a surrogate father, surrogate mother kind of a role, that surrogate grandma or grandpa, that we would come around and just speak energy and encouragement and blessing into one another. And let me just continue that thought. Three of the people that have been mentors in my life, uh, Sonny Salisbury, I, I, I brought him to, uh, introduced him to you last year, you know, just an older, loving Jesus follower. And then uh, a guy named Doug Fields, who I served under at Saddleback Church for six years and who invested in me there, and then uh, Scott Dudley. And, and I was thinking, if you were to sort of parse out the different ways I approach ministry, just about every concept I think you could trace back to, to these three guys. From my love of C.S. Lewis to the way I embrace practical relational ministry to the compassionate way I seek to steward my own life, the way I want to treat other people. It, it, it all sort of stems from something that these guys have invested in me, and I'm just so thankful to God for providing these Moseses to my Joshua. And so as I wrap this thing up, I, I, I just want to give you two action steps, and I'm sure you could guess what they are even without me saying them. But the first is you need a mentor. You need a mentor. You need this kind of a person in your life, building into you, speaking life, seeing potential, raising you up to be the very best that God has. Right? That, that, you need somebody like this. So I'm praying that God would bring somebody to mind. And, and just think about somebody who they live their life in a way that you do respect, or they steward their faith in a way that does seem to, to inspire you. And, and you could uh, allow them to mentor you from afar, right? You could just watch them and take notes. I'm sure Joshua did a little bit of that with Moses. But I would also challenge you to take a risk and to ask them, you know, I was wondering if I could buy you coffee sometime. I really love the way that you seem to live your life from your values. And, and, and I would love to talk to you about that. You strike me as a person with incredible spiritual integrity. Can, can I just pick your brain? And even if they can't agree because of schedule or whatever to like an ongoing mentor relationship, I, I promise you they'll be honored to be asked. And, and, and more likely than not, they'd love to have a coffee with you and just process. So, so I, I want to challenge you. You need a mentor. And then the second fill-in is kind of the opposite. You need to provide open opportunities for another to learn from you. You have to mentor others. Younger leaders, maybe it's in uh, student ministries or Kidtown ministries, 
Maybe in your current role, you come up with a succession plan for your leadership, and so you begin mentoring another person in that regard. But who are you making yourself available to? Some opportunities might be more formal, like in our Eastside Academy, uh, the high school that meets here at Overlake, we provide mentor, mentors for every student, and it's kind of a weekly, kind of a, a formalized kind of a concept. But it could be informal as well. It's just somebody that you're doing life with, and so you're mentoring into, speaking life into. I want to challenge you on this. And unless you think that, you know, this is just kind of a, a feel-good kind of a sermon, I, I, I want to challenge you with this last thought. If you want to see the best mentor the world has ever known, all you need to do is open the pages of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you will read about the life of Jesus. Jesus is the best mentor the world has ever seen. Jesus spent three years doing life with his disciples, speaking life into his disciples. He modeled and he taught. And then after the crucifixion and the resurrection, those disciples changed the world. See, I really hope that you receive this challenge from me today. I really hope that, that you see that the scriptures are filled with not only examples of mentorship, but with the command, the challenge to embrace mentorship. I want to challenge you to be the mentor you wish you had. Can you do that? All right, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for how you love us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are the, the greatest mentor. And, and we do confess, those of us who are following you, we, we confess our gratitude that you mentor us, that spiritually you, you do meet us and you do guide us. Through your word, you do mentor us and challenge us. And we are so thankful for that. But God, we want to take it one step further, and we want to, we want to take it to the place where, where we ask you to bring a mentor into our lives. Would you allow us to, to think about that person right now and, and provide a way for those doors to open so that we could receive wisdom and encouragement from the person that you want us to be mentored by? And then secondly, Lord, we want to give back. We don't want to just receive. We want to give. And so would you please show us the avenue that you'd like us to embrace so that we could share with others what you have given us, the wisdom, the faith that you've invested into us, we want to share with others. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. We pray all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.